Uh, now, um, uh, please do keep uh, your um, Bible open in the book of Ruth. We're going to be thinking uh, together about what, what uh, Hilary just read for us um, over the next uh, 20, 25 minutes. And um, uh, there's um, uh, an activity booklet for, for children. Uh, the first activity, actually, is um, you can do already, if you're listening to that reading... Uh, you might like some, to listen up as we go through if you uh, weren't quite sure of the order of those pictures. Uh, grown-ups, you have to ask a, children if you have no idea, ask a child if you have no idea what I'm on about. Um, but I've got a question for you while you do that. How much does Christmas cost? I wonder, children, do you have, have an idea how much... Oh, Danny, you have an idea. How much... You think it's free... Uh, I'm not sure many parents would agree with that, but yeah, it, it, there's certainly a sense in which that's right. Any other, any other um, ideas? How much does Christmas cost? There are lots of different ways to answer that question, aren't there? I guess many, many of the grown-ups here are thinking, in this cost-of-living crisis, uh, Christmas is more expensive now than ever before. Um, even just having the heating on at Christmas, let alone the food and the presents and so on. But the real cost of Christmas isn't actually about our bank balances. There is a real cost to Christmas, and it's much more important for us to understand, and that is what Ruth 4 teaches us about. Uh, Now, just um, uh, by way of a recap, um, the the book of Ruth, it's set in the time of the judges. So uh, if you were in um, Joining the Dots Kids this morning, uh, you'll know all about what that was like. It It was a terrible time. Um, There was no king. Uh, You might be wondering why there are kids with crowns around and grown-ups with crowns as well. And that's why, because in the the time of the judges, there was no king and everyone, uh, everything was chaos. uh, And the people kept going against God. And Naomi and Ruth have left Israel and uh, Naomi left Israel um, and was bereaved. Her her daughter-in-law, Ruth, um, also bereaved, come back to Israel and return to God. And then the Redeemer comes along, Uh, the Redeemer, uh, Boaz, who um, it looks like will um, be the answer to all their problems, will pay their debts, uh, fix their lives by giving them a permanent home, uh, giving them back their permanent place in God's promises and in the land. And Ruth, uh, back in chapter 3, threw herself on, God, on um, Boaz's uh, mercy uh, by basically uh, asking him to marry her. So what happens next? Well, we expect, I guess, that the wedding, the, the, the resolution of all of the problems, but actually after the intimacy of chapter 3 uh, and the hope there, perhaps you're a bit surprised by all of this kind of legal detail in chapter 4. Uh, that Hillary was reading to you. Because this feels a bit more like a a courtroom drama uh, than anything either romantic or even personal. But it is no less a picture of the Christian gospel. I think that's important for us to understand. And the reason is that here we see something of the real cost of Christmas. Because this is a story about uh, the Redeemer. Now, we don't use the idea of redeeming very much these days. Um, I don't know when the last time uh, you, talk, talk, you spoke about uh, redeeming something or, or redemption was. We might redeem vouchers. Um, we might have vouchers to redeem or, or a token to redeem. 
um, by way of uh, helping the children understand. Children, if you fill in your um, activity booklet all the way through, if you complete all of the, all of the different bits of it, uh, then you can bring it to me and redeem it for a treat, which is in here. You can have a little sneak peek if you like. It looks chocolatey, doesn't it? There you go. So if you come and bring your filled-in booklet, you can redeem it uh, for a bit of chocolate. It's uh, to do with a swap, isn't it? Something else, swapping it for something better in its place. But sometimes we might talk about redeeming in a different way. We might talk about redeeming ourselves. You know what I mean when someone talks about, you know, they, they, they've done something to redeem themselves. Uh, they've swapped their shame for dignity. They've re- uh, done something good that replaces the bad. You know what I mean? That's, um, that's another way we use the word redemption. Um, and here, uh, the, the, the real important redemption that the Bible talks about is something of both of them and more. It talks about um, a life being brought from empty to full by someone buying that life back. And it costs a great deal for the one who makes that purchase, the, the redeemer. So the big thing we need to understand in this passage is the cost of Naomi's redemption. And of course that includes Ruth as well, but it is Naomi um, who is actually being redeemed here. Um, and um, you need to understand a little bit of the background, I think, to understand, understand the cost. You see, when, um, when Naomi's husband Elimelech died, the, um, the family house... Uh, was effectively uh, mortgaged and uh, the, the other debts were, were beyond her reach. She didn't have any income uh, like uh, most women in, in those days. She didn't have any support. There was no um, uh, social security. Um, uh, and um, uh, it's pretty remarkable for that reason that her, de- her, her bereaved daughter-in-law, Ruth, moves with her from Moab to Israel with no income, no um, universal credit, uh, nothing. But the law in Israel was that someone from the same family group as the husband who died needs to take over the responsibilities of the dead man, uh, to take on themselves the... um, uh, the responsibility for the land and for the debts and for uh, her and her children. And that's what Boaz, we found out, was eager to do. He wanted to provide for Naomi and for Ruth their place in the world, security for life. But then chapter 4, we find there's a barrier to his rescue plan. There's someone else with a legal right to to take over the land first. And so Boaz goes up to him, doesn't he? He he tells him about it. No sly dealing, no um, uh, quickly going to Gretna Green, getting married before he found out. But um, uh, uh, he tells this guy about it. And then a disaster when he tells him, uh, verse 4, the other man says, I will redeem it. Perhaps the land uh, looked like it might be a nice addition to his farm. Uh, perhaps uh, he thought he could increase his income this way. And so feels like, oh no, the, 
um, Boaz's plan to rescue uh, Naomi and Ruth by marrying Ruth looks doomed to fail. But he has one more ace up his sleeve. Uh, Verse 5, Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Do you get it? So the, the, um, this man who thought uh, oh, he could get, get hold of some more land, grow his empire, realises ah, there is a Ruth who comes with it. And potentially children who would be counted as Elimelech's children rather than his children to preserve the family of Naomi and Ruth and Elimelech. And so... It's just too much a risk. There's too much cost. The land would never be worth the debts because any future, of, any future children of Ruth would own the land instead of his own children. So Boaz steps into this other man's shoes, almost literally. That was the custom of the day. In earlier times, verse 7, in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one, fat, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. It sounds like a smelly way of signing a contract, doesn't it? But this was the method of legalising transactions in Israel. Uh, so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and removed his sandal. As, this, as if to say publicly, this land is now yours to, to walk on. This is your stomping ground, Boaz. And so Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today your witnesses that I've bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, uh, and Marlon, I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. As Boaz makes this legal announcement, he also explains why he's doing what he's doing. It isn't just that he loves Ruth, although he clearly does. It isn't just that he wants to save Naomi, although he clearly does want that too. He's doing it to maintain the name of the dead man Elimelech, so that his name will not disappear. In the Old Testament, it's it's really important to understand this, in the Old Testament, the way that people were included in the blessings of God, uh, the promises that God had made, uh, was... Um, that they had a permanent claim on a part of the promised land. Uh, the, the New Testament says that the, the Old Testament is like a, um, an illustration for us, a physical um, demonstration of the eternal realities. So the physical land is all of God's blessings and promises to his people. And so... Uh, uh, every family in the people of God would have their own portion of land that would be marked out and that, that couldn't, couldn't be got rid of. And this is the way that it's maintained in a family line forever. And Boaz is really concerned to make sure that this family line holds on to their part of God's promises. And... Um, 
Elimelech's family would have lost it until Boaz bought it back for him and his family. That's why he's the guardian redeemer. Uh, the guardian of God's promises for this family, the redeemer of God's promises for this family. And then the, the witnesses, uh, they respond to what Boaz says by um, setting what he's doing in the context of the story of God's people. Have a look down at verse 11. The elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So they, they bring everyone's minds back to the history of Israel, those great heroic ancestors like Rachel, Leah, Perez, Tamar and Judah. Actually, none of those characters are particularly heroic. And some of them are downright scoundrels. But they're all remarkably blessed by being part of the family, parents in the family tree of God's blessing. If you know the way the, the story goes, uh, and um, you were here last night, uh, and um, find out who eventually comes out of this family line, well, you'll see what, a, what an incredible blessing these, um, these witnesses, these elders and all the people, are praying for uh, Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth that they would be like the people in the, the family line of, of God's great rescue story. Now, what's the point of, um, of all of this, all of this courtroom drama, all of these um, links with God's, God's plan to, to, to bless uh, the world and save it? Well, it points us towards the cost of redemption. That's what I said at the beginning. The un- unnamed relative, the, the, the one who had a, uh, was first in the queue, um, Boaz was behind. Um, he, um, he balked at the cost of redemption. And the only reason that he's part of this story, the only reason that the writer of Ruth puts him in it, is to show us that this is a really expensive thing to do. It's a really costly, risky thing for Boaz to do. He's taking on Naomi and Ruth's debts, the obligation to look after them, the duty to give over to their family line rather than his own, the, 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 land, of what, uh, the land that he's redeeming. The point is, redemption comes at a very great price. It's a very expensive Christmas for Boaz. None of that cost comes on Naomi and Ruth, does it? But it's very expensive for Boaz. And the reason we need to know that is so that we understand the cost of our redemption. Redemption always comes at a price. I love the um, funny story about a husband and wife who um, were out uh, Christmas shopping and they agreed to to meet at a certain place and time. The husband wasn't there where he should have been at the right time. And um, his wife got crosser and crosser until she eventually... Uh, phoned him up on his mobile and said, I've been waiting here for 20 minutes. Where are you? And the husband said, darling, I'm so sorry. You remember that jewellery shop where you fell in love with that diamond necklace? And I said, I couldn't afford it, but I'd buy it for you one day. His wife replied, oh, yes, sweetie, I remember. The husband said, I'm in the pub next door to that. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike that husband... 
Christmas was extremely expensive for the one who came to redeem us. Jesus was willing to take any cost. We need to understand the cost of our redemption. When Jesus came to earth, he said he came to be the redeemer and guardian of mankind, of all of us. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, um, records Jesus saying, even the Son of Man, that's his way of um, referring to himself, even I, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. In the original, that word ransom is the same word as redemption. Uh, Ransom is the price of redemption. Jesus said he came to be the price that God pays to redeem us. He came not to uh, uh, get us to do what, what he wants us to do, to serve him. That's interesting, isn't it? That's not the primary reason Jesus came, but to give himself to us, for us, so that we could have a permanent place in God's blessing, so that we could have God's promises for ourselves forever, in a way that no one could take it away from us. Uh, We often say that salvation is a free gift from God, and that is true, but it's not the whole truth. It's free to us, but it was never free to him. It was very expensive to him. Jesus came to give his life to redeem us. To do that, Jesus stepped into our shoes. He took on our sin on his shoulders, made himself guilty to pay the price that we should have paid for what we've done. That's what's on offer for you today. Jesus taking that off you onto himself, taking that price, taking that guilt, taking that shame, bearing that cost. Boaz risked his wealth and status Jesus gave up heavenly riches to become a poor, helpless baby in a backwater town in the Middle East. He gave up his perfect status, his unblemished record, and took upon himself the disgrace of our sin. He gave up his life to a terrible death on the cross. And most painfully of all, he gave up his perfect relationship with his father, as he was ripped apart from him, forsaken by him, as all of God's anger at the sin and brokenness of the world fell on him instead of us. There's never been a more expensive moment, let alone a more expensive Christmas. There's never been a more expensive redemption. Now, why is this so important for us to grasp? Uh, that it cost Jesus so much to to redeem us. Well, for one thing, it helps us, I think, see that we can't leave Jesus on the shelf, as it were. I I think I've shared before how it was that I first began to follow Jesus. 
uh, when I was a teenager. There were two things that needed to click into place for me. The first was that Jesus wasn't a fable or a, or a myth, um, but a real person. A, a person who, you know, had I been born uh, a couple of thousand years earlier and, and, and um, a couple of thousand miles away, I, I would have been able to, to see and touch and, and, and talk to. True history. Jesus really was born and publicly showed himself to, to be from God, to be God in the flesh, in fact. And the second thing I needed to realise was that if Jesus died for me, then that makes it incredibly and intensely personal. He chose to die so that I didn't have to. When I realised that, when I realised those two things, that meant I couldn't approach Christianity as a philosophical debate or just another way of life. Jesus died for me to save me. That, that's the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. He paid, paid a greater price to give me my life back than I could possibly comprehend. Now, perhaps you're in a similar situation to, to, to the one I was in. You're just beginning to feel the enormity of the fact that Jesus paid that price for you. If so, please may I encourage you to, to come and, and talk to me about it afterwards. Or perhaps talk to a, 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 another Christian friend if I'm too scary. Uh, but, but, but once you accept that most precious of gifts then life will never be the same again. I think that's um, uh, very helpful, even if we've been following Jesus for a long time, uh, to come back to and to remember. But it's also helpful for, for other reasons. Uh, we, we need to get, get this. If, if we're, we are following Jesus, we have been for a while. We need to, to stop and think. Got a question for you. What's the most precious gift you've ever been given? Children, what's the most um, uh, valuable present you've ever ever received? God. Jesus. Jesus. Right answer. Okay, other than Jesus, what's the most um, valuable present you've ever been given? No ideas. Well, I guess you might have some other ideas next week. You can bring and show us. Okay, go on then. Your Xbox. Go on, Christian. Jesus. Another answer for Jesus. Excellent, excellent work. No, go on. A life. My life. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. We've got, we've got, uh, yeah, go on. Xbox as well. Money. Go on. Uh. Jesus. A lot of answers for Jesus. Very good. Now, next week, um, you might get some very precious presents, which you're welcome to bring in. Um, and, um, and share with everyone uh, how, um, how blessed you've been. Um, a Google search told me that the most expensive gift that's ever been given, I don't know if you know this, is a collection of Cubist masterpieces uh, by um, uh, a number of artists, including Pablo Picasso. Um, and um, it was given by uh, a guy called Leonard Lauder to New York's Metropol Metropolitan Museum of Art in 2013, and it was valued at $1.1 billion. That's quite an expensive present, isn't it? Now, um, I mean, I've been given some nice Christmas presents, nothing like that. 
Um, but, but, but if you had given those pieces of art, you would treat them very carefully, wouldn't you? You wouldn't, um, you know, think, oh, I, I need a table mat, oh, I'll just use one of those. Um, I don't want to get the spaghetti on the table. Um, and you'd probably care a little bit less about the £20 print that um, you put up on your wall uh, last year once you've got all of those uh, pieces of art. When you, when you realise how expensive uh, something is, how valuable it is, it helps you to treat it rightly, to, to, to value it yourself rightly. And so when you realise that your relationship with God cost Jesus his life to win for you, then you begin to treat that relationship, that redemption, as the most precious thing in your life. Once you begin to understand the cost of this redemption, it means that it becomes the the, the centrepiece of your life. No longer could... um, a pay rise compared to the value of the gospel that you hold. No longer could um, other threats prevent you from sharing this gospel with others or fear of losing relationship stop you inviting people along to church. No longer could sadness or sickness or even death rob you of the joy that this gospel brings. You see, it changes absolutely everything. David Livingstone, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's, he was a Scottish missionary and um, explorer who spent uh, 33 uh, years uh, in the heart of Africa. And he endured a, a great deal of suffering as he labored to, to spread the gospel and open, um, open up the, the continent to missionaries. And this is something that he once said. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then, with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause may cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All of these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this, we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made, who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. David Livingston uh, did give up an awful lot to go and do what he did. But he counted it a great privilege. And as nothing compared to the cost, the price with which he had been purchased. Our redemption came at such a great price. The only response left for us is to give ourselves to our Redeemer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that when you sent the Lord Jesus Christ, it wasn't primarily to make us his slaves, but to purchase for us 
and inheritance, to redeem us, to be your children. Help us, therefore, to come to Jesus with gratitude in our hearts, particularly this Christmas time, to give ourselves once again, perhaps for the first time, entirely over to him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.